How's it going, everybody? This is the Nitty Gritty. My name is Chad. With me is Leonard, and this is a show about wrestling, and we are doing another random match review for you, and this one comes to us from our good friend of the show, Ronnie. And Leonard, why don't you tell us what match Ronnie selected for us? Yes, it is a Texas Death Coffin match between <laughs> Dusty Rhodes and Ivan Koloff from October 24th of 1980 from the Sam Houston Coliseum. It's a little bit over 16 minutes long. And this is much different than any casket match or Texas death match that I've ever seen before. I've often said of like movies, I don't care what your movie is, as long as you kind of create your world with your rules and you adhere to those. This match does not do any of that at all. <laughs> I was wondering where you were going with that line of dialogue. <laughs> yes. Because the commentator, and I'm not sure who it is, explains what the rules are. And there's post-match graphics. I say post-matches. They're definitely modern graphics that have been put, put on way after the fact that show the rules. But then they do not adhere to those rules. No. So... The idea isn't supposed to be that you get the guy in the coffin. It's Texas Deathmatch rules where you pin a guy, and then they have – now, today, I think it's usually a 10 count, and yeah. here it seems to be like a 30-second rest period to answer. And then when you lose, if you don't answer, then you will be placed in the coffin and hauled to the back in the coffin as like a humiliating thing, I guess. And this comes about because the commentator mentions Ivan Koloff shows up with a red shovel because he's the Russian and promises to bury all American wrestlers. And Dusty's like, you're not going to bury me, brother, whatever. And that's where this came from. And Dusty wants the coffin in the ring. So usually the casket is outside the ring. In this match, the coffin, and it doesn't have a lid on it. It's just a... The cheapest looking coffin ever is just inside the ring. <laughs> and uh, one thing I did want to mention is that the announcer, when he's introducing Dusty Rose, calls him not only the American dream, but made of living stardust. So maybe that's where the stardust character came from. I hope so. Yes. So um, anyway, uh, here's what's really weird about it. So there's, the match is basically, it's it's five falls. And you know in a Texas death match, the idea is you want to incapacitate the opponent so they can't get up. Right. You know? They don't do that here. No. That's the, the first fall <laughs> off of a small package. Yeah, and I'm like, what is going on? Yeah, and they're, I'm like, why are you taking the rest break? Koloff is on his feet. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. ready, he's ready to go. Um, And they do tease like Koloff getting thrown into the casket during that first fall and Dusty almost trips over the coffin in the first fall. But again, the idea is not to go in the coffin, but yet they're teasing going in the coffin. And like they make it look as, like they put it right in the middle of the ring to make it as awkward as possible for the talent to do anything. <laughs> right. And, 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 you know, they're like basically wrestling in a quarter of the ring because yeah. the coffin's like in the other three quarters of it, because they have it not like in the corner, which would make sense, but long ways right dead smack in the middle of the coffin. <laughs> yeah. 
Also, mentioning the first ball, this is the laziest referee I've ever seen. He gets down on one knee, and he doesn't even slap, like, a certain rhythm. He's like, <laughs> ow, whatever. And it's yeah. like, it's, yeah. there's no rhythm. It's so lazy. It's the ra- laziest referee I've ever seen. Um, so, yeah, they, of course, both guys bleed. I don't think there's any... They don't need to bleed, but it's 1980 and it's cool off in roads, and they're just going to bleed for the sake of bleeding. Right. Yeah. Um, during the uh, – I was just thinking, what was the second fall? Yeah, yeah. Cole I think, off, I think Koloff of, just hits him in the face. Yeah, just hits him in the face and he falls down. A lot of these are just random shots and they're very short falls. Like the falls are a few minutes apiece. It took me out of it so much. Like, And by the way – like, because I know Ronnie's going to hear this. I'm so glad that he sent us this. This is such a random oddity of a match. Like, just yes. saying Texas Death Coffin match doesn't make any sense. You feel awkward every time you say it. Yes. But, like, it is what it is. Like, so, yeah, like, the, the falls don't make any sense. The rules are confusing. And once you really look at the rules, like, two or three times, you're like, okay, I guess it. I could see here now what they were doing. But, like, it... It's this is such a convoluted setup, um, but having having said that, I thought that the ending, within as you were saying at the top, within the universe that they set up, I thought the ending was somewhat cool <laughs> because it's just Koloff hitting his knee on the edge of the coffin, and then getting like you know it's like a double fist hit. Kind of like a Polish hammer. Kind of like a Polish hammer. Yes, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Dusty does the whole flip-flop and fly deal, but instead of the elbow, he does a Polish hammer, and Koloff just lands in the coffin, (laughs) and the match is over. Yeah. No pinfall, no no intermission, 30-second count. Uh, Again, the commentator very clearly said, the match does not end if you go in the coffin. The match ends when he goes in the coffin. (laughs) and we also don't and supposedly part of it is he gets carted to the back while in the coffin we don't see that they may cut before that happened but then i'm saying who's going to carry him to the back right there's no one out there to do it our guy we certainly wasn't going to do it yeah you know you know dusty's not going to do it so who's going to go and get and ivan koloff is a big dude in a rickety box you know you're going to need Four or five guys. You're going to need actual pallbearers, but not yeah, pallbearers. This is barely a coffin. It's basically a bunch of boards. Yeah, yeah. Kind of, it's kind of sewed together or stitched together or nailed together or what have you. Uh, and there are handles on the side because at one point, uh, Koloff gets rammed into one of the handles. On the, oh, right. And, you know, you're right what you said. Like, this is less used as like a, this is a final, a finale to this feud. You're never going to see Koloff again, and it's more used as like a tool of embarrassment, kind of like a hair versus hair or something right. to that effect. Um, but it's just like reading Texas Death Coffin and then seeing how it's used here, it just leaves you scratching your head. Um, you know, I really wish that Dusty were still alive to take part in his own podcast and talk about some of these things. Yeah, I don't know if, if anyone has ever talked about this. I mean, this is getting such a rarity, such an oddity. 
I had never heard of it before and probably for good reason, because it is not a good match, even right. though I kind of like the idea. Like I could totally see, say like Undertaker and JBL having had. But imagine suggesting to them, hey, you know, we're going to have the casket in the middle of the break. Like, yeah, no, that would, that would be, that would be a no, no, but <laughs> I can, I can, I can understand the idea or like Terry Funk and Undertaker. That would be a great Texas death coffin match. So like a Texas guy against the Undertaker in the coffin. Yeah. But I, you know, it makes sense. Like you're going to incapacitate the guy. You have to basically, most of the time in a coffin match, you're incapacitating them to get them into the coffin. Right. So this is, is kind of adding, you know, we seem to talk about a lot of, of what I like to call, you know, the, the saying a hat on a hat. It's like a stipulation with a stipulation with a stipulation. Yeah. And this is something I think could have worked. But like I said, you establish your rules. You adhere to those rules. They didn't do that here. So I don't know if they just said, hell with it. We're going to do what we're doing. Or there wasn't communication between them and the ref and the commentator and everybody else as to what it was they were going to do. I almost wish they would have given it another gimmick. Because then I would have recommended this match wholeheartedly. Tuxedo. Like if, if it was a Texas death coffin barbed wire tuxedo match. Like that's right, right. <laughs> Like I would have loved that. That would have been great. But just being that it's Texas Death Coffin and when they are, the commentator is going out of his way to talk about the rules and the rules do not reflect in any way what you're seeing in the ring. Yes. And I think it's even funnier that the fact, I believe this comes from the NWA archive, so you can tell that they put on modern graphics to it. Yeah. But they even made graphics for these incorrect rules. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, absolutely uh, go and uh, and check out this match um you can uh find links to it on youtube amongst other we, we didn't give a star rating i would give it like a star yeah I, I would agree with you there i would agree with you there you know i'll go a star and a half simply because of the spot where ivan koloff's knocks his knee the idea of somebody being in a coffin because they knock their knee into it to me is hilarious <laughs> like i just yeah. I don't know why. I just went like I was preparing for. I was like, "How's this going to end?" Like, and both these guys like look fine, and like, it's like, it's like, oh, okay, well, there it is. So, uh, yeah, go check it out. Let us know what you think about it, and uh, let us know in the comments. Uh, we're always uh, looking to hear from our viewers. Hello, everybody. This is the Nitty Gritty, and this week it is one of our shorter segments. This is a random match review, and it was chosen by my co-host. Leonard, Leonard, why don't you tell everybody what match we're reviewing for them this week? But the uh, the match tonight, so for a random match review, I was thinking I wanted to find something from WCW Saturday Night, which I think often gets maligned. It's considered a C show, uh, especially after the NWO era when you had Nitro and Thunder. And I always loved Saturday Night. And I kind of looked at some lists, some of the best matches, and this one came up and it really intrigued me. On, on paper because it seems like a styles clash and it actually wound up being a pretty good uh, match even though it was under 10 minutes. Uh, and this is, it's uh, Lex Luger versus Lord Steven Regal who would go on to be William Regal in the WWE for the WCW World Television's title. Uh, Luger is the ch champion at this point. It was the main event of the show from August 31st of 1996. You can, uh, I don't know if this episode is on uh, the network because uh they're spotty with their Saturday nights, uh, but you can find the whole video uh, on uh, 
YouTube, which uh, includes the entrances and a promo from Regal afterwards. So the whole thing is about 13 minutes, 15 seconds. Uh, Regal has Jeeves with him, who I don't think was anybody. It was just the guy they were using. Uh, commentary here is Tony Schiavone and Dusty Rhodes. And they mentioned on commentary, uh, to kind of set things up, Regal is a bit on the outs with the Blue Bloods of Robert Eaton and David Taylor at this point. Uh, Luger is gearing up to be part of a War Games match uh, with, I think, the next week on WCW side against the NWO. Right. Patrick is the referee, and he's not the full-blown evil NWO referee yet, but they have mentioned some questionable uh, calling, some match calls that he has done recently. So they're, they're starting to build to that. Uh, the, the match itself, the mat, the word I would give to this is, is intensity. You know, I, I think both these guys had a lot of intensity. I would love to, uh, meet Lex Luger, who I know does do some shows and ask him what it was like working with William Regal, because I think Luger has a reputation for being lazy or bad, but he's very much kind of like John Wayne. If he's not motivated, he reverts to the character, right? So, you know, as John Wayne needed a good director, Luger needed a good opponent. And and I think Regal was that here um, that you can see. So a bit of a blow-by-blow, blow, uh, Luger gets a headlock. Regal shoots him uh, out of it. It takes him out of the shoulder block. Regal works the arm with an arm bar into a wrist lock that Luger reverses and cranks on. Back to the headlock and Regal claws at Luger's face into the ropes and Regal gets uh, tries a hip toss, but Luger counters into a backslide for two. Hip toss by Luger and then he gets what Shivani calls a Mexican-style arm drag, which sends Regal to the floor. This is Luger doing a backslide and an arm drag. Yeah. When do you see that? Uh, back in, Regal gets a heel trip into a lateral press for a one count and turns that into a test of strength on the mat. Luger works up and forces Regal to his knees. He gets Regal down and stomps on his hands. Regal sells the fingers and goes to the ropes for a breather. They go to the corner, and Regal gets a thumb of the eye on the break. L- L- Regal loses his shit, nails Luger with forearms and kicks in the corner. Regal flexes, which I think is, considering he's in there with Luger, <laughs> and he flexes, and he punts Luger in the ribs, chokes him out in the ropes, works him over. My favorite spot of the match here is a jumping double knee strike to the head. Yeah, Regal does, and it's just a standing. It's a standing jumping knee strike. It's great looking. Um, several two counts went to the corner, and Regal runs into an outstretched boot. Does it again to get to eat a double boot. Luger explodes out of the corner of flying forearm. Uh, he's back on offense. Gets a big backdrop from a corner. Bounce out. Luger with the suplex. Regal gets his foot in the ropes to break the count. Regal with a thumb to the eye, but Luger gets a flying form to the ropes. Regal rolls to the outside. Luger follows him with a double axe handle. And here, he rolls Regal back in, and Hall and Nash run in and attacks Luger. Patrick is messing with Regal, so he doesn't see any of it. Luger crawls back in the ring, and Regal uh, covers him for the win. So before I talk about the um, interview, uh, Chad, your opinions on this match. So, yeah, you know, you said intense and I, you know, one of the things I put in my notes here is Regal's vicious streak, which uh, I really liked in this match. And as we know from looking at Regal's history, especially with the controversial Goldberg match, if you don't try to work up to Regal's level, you will be exposed. And it's not evident with every wrestler because there are obviously a lot of wrestlers that can work up to Regal's level without any issue. Luger would be one of them that would have to work up to Regal's level. And 
I think that at the beginning, this is a bit of a styles clash, as you mentioned on paper, it would look like that, but it quickly turns into a really solid TV match. Um, And yeah, overall, I thought it was, the match itself was very good. The commentary, which given the ending, I guess makes sense, was heavily geared towards NWO and, you know, and Hogan and all this kind of stuff. And like, that's the kind of stuff that you know i know mick foley comments on it from time to time and like other people come like when you're watching a match and like they're not even commenting on the match itself or very little anyway like that that sticks out like a sore thumb to me sometimes now in this case i can forgive it a little bit because at the end as you mentioned the outsiders interfere and regal wins the tv title um i believe the third time third time he mentions that in the interview yeah yeah. so yeah i thought that this was a good match and you know i'm not always against the interference in this case it made sense because i think you would have had to have outside shenanigans for the simple fact that luger was the bigger star and regal would have had to have some kind of upper hand to win the tb title from somebody like lex luger um Mm -hmm. as you said luger tends to be lazy and rely on the strong man type things in this case he he kind of had to keep the pace with with regal and i i thought he did fine um you know not every lex luger matches a stinker um but uh yeah this one i thought was solid um and i know you're gonna mention the promo which i'll just say i thought was solid as well um regal is one of those guys that i think is only gaining more respect as he gets older mm-hmm. um whether it be for his nxt work or his aew work which is only a year but still um and i think that that will only continue so yeah and even for a short tv match i would give this three stars i think both guys are motivated each played off there. Of each very well uh regal sold well for luger but i think luger sold well for eagle when he was on offense you know this was a pretty standard story of like the powerful baby face against the conniving heel but you have two veterans that can tell that very well so yeah so the problem afterwards it's uh the shivani interviews regal and he has this great line which i love i told luger if he bounces those pecs around i'd rip both of his shoulders out of the bloody sockets he's so good on the mic regal he is he, he's he's probably very underrated on the mic uh, so Shivani asks him about the interference. He says he has no idea what Shivani's talking about. And he says that Nick Patrick's a wonderful referee. <laughs> uh, but then something I thought was really, really interesting and I didn't know about was he said, um, you know, he's going to do something no other man in WCW history has done. He said he's going to take the belt all over the world and defend it and not wait for people to come to him. Um, and he's going to go to India, he's going to go to Japan, you name it, and the belt will be with him for as bloody well long as he wants it to. And I looked this up, I went to cagematches.com, and during this period, he did go to Japan, and he did go to England, and he did defend uh, the TV title a couple times outside of the U.S. and outside of WCW shows. So, yeah, so I don't know what really the the impetus of that was if that was something that they had talked about doing if that's something he wanted to do so i didn't really find anything about the background of that but that was true that i i, I kind of thought maybe that was a line so that's why i wanted to look it up and i wonder that- if they even capitalized on it from a publicity standpoint i knowing wcw i doubt it it might have gotten a fleeting mention but yeah, I don't ever remember that if they did, they didn't make a big deal out about it because I probably would have remembered it, you know? 
but I don't think they they need. I know one of the matches, like the one of them in England, I believe, was against Robbie Brookside, okay. and I don't remember who some of the other ones were were against. But I, it, it was two or three outside of the U.S. But I thought that was very interesting. So, yep. yeah, this was again a completely random match. I just wanted to to look at something from Saturday night. This was uh, on a list, and it intrigued me the matchup. And as we've said, for a TV match on Saturday night. This was this was really good, and it did help to play in the storylines because, uh, again, you put the TV belt back on on Regal. I think they wanted to get the belt off of Luger so he could more engage with the NWO because they're not going to be screwing around over the TV title. Uh, and of course, Luger would eventually be positioned as as one of the guys who would be the strongest against the NWO and take the the world title off of Hogan and and, and all that. So. Right, and you know that War Games match was probably one of the worst. Um, case yes. Now, um, but yeah, I mean, I'm almost curious to look at some of the other WCW Saturday Night matches that are on the list you talked about. But, uh, but yeah, absolutely, this was a good match to uh, to look at. Uh, definitely two different wrestlers. So let us know if you decide to watch it, and uh, feel free to uh, comment your thoughts. How's it going, everybody? This is the Nitty Gritty. My name is Chad. With me, as usual, is Leonard, and this is a show about wrestling. This is not one of our full-length episodes. This is one of our random match reviews. And the match that I stumbled across on Facebook is from 2002. It is a dark match. And you don't always see dark matches leak out into the ether. Um, one match I really wish was available to see would was Kurt Angle's, one of Kurt Angle's first matches, which was a dark match against Owen Hart. Um, and there's a picture of that match, I think, but, uh, as far as I know, the match itself doesn't exist. What a treat though. That would have been mm -hmm. to see, um, this match is Mr. Perfect versus Brock Lesnar, which, you know, I know that those two guys had an exchange on, I believe the, uh, I believe that was the plane ride from hell. Um, yeah. And, you know, I think Mr. Perfect bragged a few times about uh, taking him down, taking Brock Lesnar down on the plane. <laughs> if I'm wrong about which particular flight that was, excuse me. But uh, I know that those two guys had an exchange um, on the flight. I don't think it was malicious in nature either. I think everybody was just horsing around. But Yeah, uh, well, both have amateur wrestling backgrounds. Both are from Minnesota. So, you know, I could, I could see those two having a very, well, I would call it maybe a playful rivalry. Yeah. And so, yeah, this match is from 2002. Um, you know, if you look at the video, which I'll, I'll try to post a link to the video um, in the description, um, but it's hard to tell if this was Raw or SmackDown. I'm going to guess and say it was Raw because uh, I don't see the, uh, you know, fist, the SmackDown fist, which this would have been that era. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So... Yeah, to me, this is just, it's interesting that this happened at all because Mr. Perfect's comeback into WWE didn't last very long. Um, he came back at the Royal Rumble and was one of the final three, I think, in that Royal Rumble. He had a really good performance, um, still looked good in the ring. And I think that, you know, Brock Lesnar having him to work with early on is is something we can talk more about here so um the match itself we'll just get started with their entrances mr perfect, mr perfect does his kind of vintage perfect entrance and uh brock lester comes out in shorts <laughs> which i found interesting because uh it 
when he actually debuted, he just had out the regular wrestling trunks and he had Paul Heyman in tow. Paul Heyman was nowhere to be found here. This is just Brock on his own. Um, but it is a very young Brock Lesnar. So, uh, Leonard, any comments so far? Well, you know, j- just to, to jump back a little bit, I was really shocked when you sent this to me. I didn't know that this existed. Right. And yes, Kurt Hennig and Brock Lesnar existed at the same time, but you don't really think about it. And finding things like this always fascinates me. There's a video on YouTube you can find of an episode of All That where Kenan Thompson has a sketch with Chris Barley. Wow. Yes. Similar idea that, that yes, these people coexisted for a very brief period of time. Right. And actually worked together that kind of got lost to time. So I was very fascinated uh, by this for that. This is one of those matchups I think I've seen in the fantasy wrestling leagues I do from time to time. People put these two right. together. On paper, I think it's a good matchup. You know, Brackett this time especially was closer to his amateur roots. And Hennig had the amateur background, which I mentioned. So, um, yeah, I, I think this is, is, is really good. And I will just say I like the story that they tell here before you kind yeah. of get to a blow by blow is because it's really about Lesnar's strength and just being and Hennig just being completely surprised about how damn strong he is. Right. Hennig just doing everything he can think of to combat this guy building up to cheating. But I'll, I'll you know, I'll let you take over for kind of the blow by blow. Well, yeah. So, uh, you know, this, it starts out just like you said. I mean, I, I certainly, I don't have, you know, every move listed here, but it's sure, sure. with, you know, you have Lesnar basically overwhelming Mr. Perfect with his strength and his agility and the fact that he, this is like kind of this immovable object that he has to go up against. And for a while, it seems like it's going to be a squash in favor of Brock Lesnar. Mm-hmm. When I wa- when I saw this unfold, I knew that it was before his debut, but I thought to myself, wow, they are, they're going to have him destroy Mr. Perfect. Yeah. You know, and Hennig was selling his ass off, which he always does. And nobody and really like takes him. a beating. And I was, and, and I was really giving Hennig a lot of credit. Wow. Good for you to, you know, go in there and put this, it's a dark match, but to put this guy over and see how the crowd reacts. Right. Awesome. Good on you. Yeah. And, um, you know, so, you know, they exchange chops and, uh, you know, Lesnar has, you know, uh, you know, a lot of clotheslines and stuff like that. Shoulder, shoulder blocks, that sort of thing. Um, Mr. Perfect gets in some offense here and there, but mm-hmm. the and Brock of- does sell for him, which I, which I like that he did. Yes. Yes, that's mm-hmm. true. Um, and, and like, you know, like Leonard said, like Mr. Perfect was such a great, you know, worker in the ring and he sold so well with anybody and you know he is no stranger to going up against bigger guys he worked you know uh, with hogan he worked with british bulldog and you know so he could work with bigger guys really really easily um and i'm pretty sure these are both minnesota guys yeah they, they're i don't know exactly where they're from in minnesota but they're right. both from minnesota yeah right the area um and so the ending kind of comes out of left field like a left field it's just basically like you said the story being told is you have this young guy who's extremely strong and can do what he wants with somebody once he gets a hold of them. But at the other end, you have a wily veteran who knows how to squeak out a win when he needs to. And that's what happened here with the. Yeah. Lesnar 
posts his shoulder, and I think that looked good. He goes in that corner a thousand miles an hour and re really hits it nice, and, and then that sets up the perfect plex. And again, I was stunned. I figured he was going to kick out of the perfect plex, and then the finish would come from there. So I was stunned by the win, but it was cool to see Hennig win. F five into the audience. That would have been cool, right? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so Mr. Perfect wins, and this match is uh, not very long. Um, I want to say, what was it, five, seven minutes, something like that? Yeah, uh, something like that. Yeah, and so I mean, I, 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 because I remember I wrote one of my notes here is I would like to see them have gotten double the time, maybe fifteen minutes. So I think it was maybe just under seven. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, I I feel like by the time Lesnar does debut, I don't even I don't know if Mister Perfect is still there at that point he was there such a brief time and i remember it distinctly because of course i was a, a kurt hennig fan and i was so happy to see him back and i remember uh, he had a raw main event against steve austin yeah and that was i think shortly after the rumble and it just didn't take the fans at this time didn't seem to know him or didn't right. seem to care and that really saddened me um with with him i don't think he was at wrestlemania i, I want to say i remember hearing rumors of what the plan was for him at mania but i don't remember what those were specifically but i don't think he was there by mania yeah it is kind of sad when you think about it because i remember the rumble specifically and him returning and like hearing that music which is just such classic music and mm -hmm. you know i was really excited like wow you know and then when he lasted as long as he did i, I was even more amped for that um but it was almost like this was that weird pocket era where, you know, fans that grew up with him might have been starting to not watch as much, you know, or, you know, maybe it just the nostalgia thing would just wasn't there as much as they wished it would be. But, uh, mm -hmm. but yeah, he did have a, I don't fault WWE there. Cause I think they did try to give him a very significant push when he returned for a few yeah. weeks. And it, it oh, just absolutely. did not. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so yeah, go check this uh, match out. Let us know what you think. Uh, you know, Lesnar was very green here, but you know, like I said earlier, being able to take advice from somebody like Kurt Henning is, uh, you know, invaluable. I would think, uh, I'm sure he was excited to work with somebody that was from, you know, his area of the country. So, uh, absolutely check it out. Let us know what you think in the comments, if you liked it or not. And, uh, by the way, the comments on Facebook that I was looking at were all pretty complimentary. Um, mm -hmm. They were basically all just talking about how much they admired Mr. Perfect and how good he was at selling and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, not really any trolls that I saw, but good. Uh, anywho, um, check out our other episodes, our full length episodes, our stupid questions and our segment surgery videos. And for Leonard, my name is Chad and we will see you next time.